60 years ago this week, on the night of July 30th, 1945, just weeks before the end of World War II, a Japanese submarine launched torpedoes that would sink the USS Indianapolis. Marine Ed Harrell was on board that night. When I actually uh, left the ship, and there I prayed that somehow the Lord would would see me through what, you know, lie ahead, but, and, and yet I had the foggiest idea that I'm going to be out there for four and a half days. There's times when you pray, and there's times when you pray, and there is a difference. This is Family Life Today for Monday, August 1st. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Of the nearly 1,200 men who were on board the Indianapolis on that night, only 317 survived. Ed Harrell is one of the survivors, and we'll hear his story today. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Monday edition, Dennis. Bob, uh, I want you to imagine with me uh, a pretty dramatic scene. Just consider yourself being 20 years old. You're a Marine. Mm -hmm. You're tough. You're physically fit. But you're alone. You're in the ocean. You've just lost your ship. And uh, you and about 80 others are floating in the middle of the night in the ocean in life jackets. We're going to hear a story, one of the most compelling stories I think I've ever heard from a gentleman who joins us on Family Life Today, one of the survivors of the USS Indianapolis. Now, a man who doesn't have to imagine what you just described because he lived through it. That's exactly right. Ed Harrell joins us on Family Life today. Uh, Welcome to the broadcast, Ed. Thank you so much. Delight to be with you. Ed um, is not only a survivor, but he was a businessman for uh, 38 years. He's uh, served as a member of the Board of Trustees of Moody Bible Institute, a, a great ministry. He and his wife, Ola, who have been married since 1947. That's a right. lot of that's a lot that's of a years. Time. That's a lot of years. Live in Paris, Tennessee. They have two children, eight grandchildren, and four great grandchildren. That's right. You've lived a, quite a life, Ed, but you're one of the few, one of the the few survivors of that tragedy. Um, take us back first of all to when you signed up. Why in the world did you sign up to be a Marine? It was 1943. Is that right? That's right. 1943. Um, I don't know that I can even know why I really did at the time, but uh, I, I knew that the war was uh, was getting pretty close to home, it sounded to me. In fact, uh, when I heard that uh, the Japanese and uh, American forces were having quite a battle at Midway, uh, I was thinking that Midway was maybe between uh, San Francisco and Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I thought, uh, you know, they're getting pretty close to America. And uh, so, actually, I, w- I just finished my junior year in high school, and uh, I volunteered then for the Marine Corps. You were 17, 18 years old? I, I was 18 when I actually became a Marine when I was 18. You know, Ed, my son is a junior in high school, and the thought of my son saying, I'm going to sign up to be a Marine in the middle of this kind of conflict as a parent 
I'm not sure I'd endorse that plan. Were your parents behind it? Yes, I, I think they uh, they pretty much agreed. Uh, Dad pretty much agreed. I mean, they didn't necessarily want to see me leave, but um, they knew too. Uh, you know, the little Silvertone radio that we had, it's telling us quite a bit of what was happening in the Pacific. And um, I didn't have much problem convincing them that I wanted to go. In fact, I have two grandsons in the Marine Corps today. Hmm. Do you remember uh, that time when you said goodbye to your dad? I do. My dad was 37 or 39 years old, and uh, I, I thought he was an old man then, but uh, <laughs> I told him goodbye at the, at the bus station. And uh, Did you hug? Uh, yes. Yes, we did. And, were, were there tears? There were some tears. There were some tears. What did he say to you? Um, I don't know that I can remember what he said, but... Uh, uh, I, I'm sure that the advice that he gave me he was a fine Christian man, and uh, I'm sure there was some good, solid advice that he was giving me. Why the Marines? Why did you pick them instead of the Army or the Navy or the Air I, Force? I wondered sometime why if I picked <laughs> the wrong one, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I really don't know. I, I even considered after I got in the Marine Corps that I would uh, be a paratrooper, but uh, uh, after I got through sea school, then they uh, they said you're going to. Uh, after I got through boot camp, they said you're going to sea school, and uh, I didn't know what that meant either. But I went through sea school, and then they said you're going aboard a, a large uh, combatant ship, and uh, so I waited then until the Indianapolis was in port and caught it at San Francisco. Before you uh, before you left to join the Marines, you made another decision that was a life altering decision. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. On the 1st of August, 1943, already a Marine and yet hadn't shown up in the, even for my boot camp, I went to church on that Lord's Day morning and uh, seeming the Lord was saying to me, your last chance, your last chance. And the preacher preached a message and he gave an invitation. He pronounced a benediction and I sat there. I knew that my heart was not right with the Lord and knowing that I was going into combat soon that uh, I had to get things right with the Lord. And I know the pastor came back and sat down by me there. At the, everyone else had uh, left the building except two people. One was my wife, later to be, and my mother-in-law, later to be, and uh, they were back in the back of the building there praying. And the pastor turned to uh, a scripture in uh, Acts 16.31, which simply says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he said, Ed, do you believe that? Well, I was brought up in uh, you know a Christian home in Sunday school, uh, church all the time, but I had really never trusted the Lord as my own personal Savior. And so he goes over that a time or two, and he said, Ed, uh, God who cannot lie is making you a promise. And he simply says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross for you, and uh, he promises to save you. And uh, then he would look at me and said, uh, you believe that? And I said, yes, I believe that. And he said, well, did the Lord save you? No. Well, he went over to time or two, and then there in the quietness of that of that little pew there in the church. I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. So later now when I'm getting into the story of uh, the actual sinking of the ship, I can really look back and rely on uh, the faith and trust that I had in the Lord to care for me even there in the water those days. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's a line in your book which basically says this, the same Jesus Christ who became my Savior was now going to be the same Jesus Christ who saved my life. That's right. When I actually uh, left the ship, you know, to abandon the ship, I, uh, I trusted the same Lord to take care of me there as I stepped over the rail and stepped into the water. And uh, 
brought up in the Christian home and uh, knew some some scripture. But uh, seemingly the Lord brought to mind there as I uh, was about to abandon ship and seeing many of the boys actually uh, jumping on each other in a desperate rush to get off the ship. And there I hung on to that rail for a little while and I prayed. And oftentimes I say uh, uh, it, when I give um, give talks is that there's times when you pray and there's times when you pray. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference. And there I prayed that somehow the Lord would would see me through what, you know, lie ahead. But And, and yet I had the foggiest idea that I'm going to be out there for four and a half days. Hmm. But to hear from, uh, from memory of his word that he brought to mind, uh, Peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm scared to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. as I left the ship, then I left with the assurance. I, I felt, in other words, uh, God didn't, didn't speak to me in any audible form in any way, but just the assurance that I had from uh, repeating his word back to my heart, I knew that, uh, that he was going to care for me. You did end up joining the Marines then, and you uh, boarded the USS Indianapolis in San Francisco. In San Francisco. At, at that point, uh, you'd not been to war. You'd not been in any battles. But that was soon to change, wasn't it? That's right. Of course, to get aboard a, a large uh, combatant ship like that, you know, that ship you know, was 610 feet, 8 and 3 quarter inches and uh, four or five stories high, and uh, that's going to be my home, you know, for a time. And then uh, after I get aboard then uh, – to see all those big guns that uh, I'm going to have to learn how to fire those things. And I think I say in my book, the biggest gun that I'd ever fired was a double barrel shotgun. And yet <laughs> here I'm going to be firing uh, uh, five inch guns and uh, 40 millimeter guns. So, uh, you know, I begin to be uh, trained, you know, to do, do those things. Then I was at, uh, at Saipan, actually, as I was at any, we talk in Kwajalein islands there in the Marshalls. Then the, then the first really combat was at, uh, at Saipan, then at Tinian, then at Guam, Sea Battle of the Philippine Seas. I was at Pulu, mm. at uh, Iwo Jima, at uh, Okinawa, and uh, later th- three airstrikes on Tokyo. And then lastly, I was a Marine guard that guarded the two atomic bomb components of the bombs that we took over to our B-29 base on the island of Tinian. And you didn't know when you got on board the Indianapolis in San Francisco Harbor, you didn't know what else was on board with you. You didn't know that you had... We did not know. ...the no. two atomic bombs that were going to be dropped on no. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We did not. We knew it was top-secret cargo. Uh, we understood even that the captain of the ship didn't know what we had, mm-hmm. that he had been told that what he had, uh, we needed to get it to the forward area, that every, every hour would save lives and... Uh, I was a guard that guarded, or actually I was a, uh, a corporal of a guard, and I stationed guards both uh, on the two places that we had uh, components of the bomb. Hmm. San Francisco to Tinian, how, long's, how long a trip's that in the water? We made a record speed run. We traveled those 5,400 or so miles in 10 days. Wow. So uh, can you imagine a, a heavy cruiser traveling like 32 mile an hour? across the Pacific. And, uh, and so we made a record speed run to mm. Tinian Island. 
and got rid of our cargo. And you got rid of the cargo, made the turn, and you were to participate with uh, another ship. We we received orders at um, at Senpac there in Guam, the Central Pacific Command, to proceed to uh, the Philippines. But we were to yes, we were to uh, join up with the uh, USS Idaho. I think um, three days later to make a uh, a gunnery practice as we went into the Philippines because the main invasion of Japan was to take place uh, in November of 45. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go into the detail that, that surrounds um, really a great controversy uh, about the USS Indianapolis because some information was withheld about the enemy being in the water, some enemy subs, and you, you guys sailed into harm's way without realizing it. But you were in the process of making your way to join up with the USS Idaho, and um, it was really an uneventful trip. You weren't even going all that fast at that point, right? Well, we had, as I mentioned, we had traveled 32 knots uh, going into Tinian, and then when we received orders then to, to go on to the Philippines, uh, Captain McVeigh requested, or they gave him permission to travel only at 17 knots to slow down because we had nearly burned the motors up, you know, getting the cargo over. So we had slowed back to uh, uh, to 17 knots going into uh, going on to the, the Philippines. You were one day away from connecting with the USS Idaho. Right. And was it the middle of the night? Well, we were to have met them the next day in the daytime. Right. But we, we encountered uh, Commander Hoshimoto, at about five minutes after midnight on the night of July 30, 1945. Now, where were you when that happened? Were you asleep in your bunk? Uh, no. The Indianapolis was a, a pretty modern ship, but uh, we did not have air conditioning. And um, in order to get any sleep at night, uh, you went topside. So uh, I was on watch till 12 o'clock. At 12 o'clock, then uh, I went to my locker and I got my blanket and I went topside. And uh, I went up under the, uh, the the barrels of number one turret, and I uh, I took off my shoes and I used kind of the arch of my shoe as a pillow, and I rolled up in my blanket. And uh, it's about five minutes or so after midnight that uh, the first explosion. The, we took the first torpedo, and uh, about as long as it would take Commander Hoshimoto to say fire one, fire two, and he fired six, but two of them hit us. And and the first one cut the bow of the ship off. Uh, if you could see the picture of the ship, you could see that those barrels on number one turret forward, big eight-inch guns, uh, they're about uh, 18 feet long, and I'm sleeping right down on the deck under the barrels of those guns. And um, looking forward of me, maybe 25, 30 feet or so, the bow of the ship is cut off, about 50 feet. Some said 65 feet, but I don't think it was that much. I think it was more of a 40 feet or so. Hmm. Uh, the bow of the ship, I mean, was cut off. So we became a funnel then as we were moving uh, through the water. And then the the second explosion then was after me, uh, nearly back midship and close to the marine compartment. And uh, it made a big gaping hole. And of course, we, since we had no air conditioning, we were traveling at a uh, uh, you might say at, a, at an open condition uh, in that all of our bulkheads down below were open. And they had to be open or else we'd, you'd suffocate without air conditioning. So that was uh, a death blow likewise because when 
as we're moving forward in the water, all of that, oh, uh, the water, all of just that water is poured rush, in the front is rushing in. And even before I could get back to my emergency station, which is back at midship, uh, the bow of the ship is already under. I mean, the deck of the bow of the ship, the front, like the first, uh, you know, hundred yards or so, uh, is, is already under. Was there still light on the ship at this point or had the, the torpedoes knocked out the electricity? Uh, all electricity was knocked out. So you're in the middle of the night. Uh, but we had light in that, uh, there was, uh, an inferno below decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say that number two turret took a, uh, a hit and the magazine in number two turret had exploded and, came through all the way uh, up so that uh, it, it was just a, a big fire, big blaze coming up through there. And then most other places uh, below decks, forward of, of midship, uh, was an inferno. And so you get a certain amount of light, you know, from that. But you said when, when the torpedoes hit and the, the boat blew up, blew the front end off, that there was a huge amount of water that went up in the air and it drenched you and ultimately... Kept you from burning up? I think two things. Number one, uh, of course, I believe in the providence of God. Uh, number one, I had, uh, I had the, the blanket around me, and that protected me, no doubt, maybe from much of the, uh, uh, the blast of the fire at the, at the first explosion. And then uh, all of the water then from that first explosion that went up in the air, I don't know. I could imagine, uh, you know, 50, 100 feet plus and then all of that coming back down, well, I was drenched, you know, with all the water as they came back down. And that kind of protected me uh, somewhat, I'm sure, from, uh, from much of the, uh, the flash burn that uh, many were getting. Ed, when something like that happens, it's disorienting at first. You're thinking, did something explode down in the engine room? You're kind of trying to get your bearings. How long do you think it was before you realized we're under attack, we've been hit, and, and you caught a sense of what was going on. I think uh, immediately when we were hit, I wondered, we aren't firing at anyone, and then just those uh, three explosions, and no one now is firing back at us, so we had to have either hit uh, a mine, or we had to have been hit by a torpedo, and then realizing nearly immediately that uh, that forward part of the ship was cut off, and I could hear the bulkheads breaking down below, and they, to me, were were a death blow. You could imagine, you know, with all that water, with the ship still moving, you know, 17 knots or so, and the funnel there coming, all the water coming in, and the bulkheads breaking, uh, you knew that the ship was doomed. And uh, as I began to make my way then back to my emergency station, which back midship, then there were those that were coming from internally coming out, and that part of the ship really was the, kind of the officers' quarters up there. Many of those were in the flash burns, and as they came out, uh, literally flesh was hanging from their face and from their arms, and they were uh, they were in in panic and uh, begging for someone to give them some help. But you know that's not my responsibility, and I have to make my way to my emergency station, which was on the quarter deck. And of course, when I get to the quarter deck, then. I'm realizing that the ship is already under forward part, and there's no question that it's sinking. Mm-hmm. So uh, as word actually came to abandon ship, I had made my way to the to the port side, and there on the quarter deck, there's a steel cable rail, as we call it, and I got a hold of the rail, and uh, I hung on there and said my prayer, mm-hmm. you know, before I actually stepped over the rail and, and stepped about two big long steps 
and jumped into the water feet first into my Kapok jacket and came up over my head. If you could visualize that the deck of the ship now is listing so that you step over and you you walk down the keel of the ship, walk down the side of the ship. Mm -hmm. And so I could have nearly walked to the water, but I walked down closer to the water and then jumped in feet first and then began to come up and push that oil back that was on the water and then to try to get my head up above that and then swim away from the ship about maybe 50 yards. To, and then we began to congregate, you know, in kind of little groups. And uh, the ship was still had still been moving, so boys had been getting off uh, maybe for two or three or four minutes. You know, I actually watched the ship as she went under. Did you think this was it for you? Uh, I wondered, and yet uh, I I really felt, and, and I don't say this in any uh, in any boasting way in any kind, but I I really f- had the assurance that somehow some way that I would make it, mm. and uh, you felt so, like you felt like God. I felt I felt uh, assurance that you know, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Mm. I'm with you, and uh, I think uh, when you hear all of my story, you'll see the various times that. That he came to uh, my assurance that uh, you know I'm still with you mm-hmm. all the way through the different things that happened for the next uh, next three days. Yeah, and we're going to hear the rest of your story over the next couple of days. Uh, of course, it is told in the book that you've written called "Out of the Depths," which is a compelling story of God's faithfulness in the midst of remarkable adversity. And I want to encourage our listeners: you can get a copy of the book from us. When you contact us here at Family Life, go to our website at familylife.com. Down at the bottom of the screen, there's a button there that says Go. You click on that button. It'll take you right to a page where you can find information about ordering uh, Ed's book. Again, it's called Out of the Depths. We also have our conversation this week with Ed Harrell available on CD. We also have a book that our friend Chip Ingram has written that is a reflection on pivotal chapters from the Psalms where – Uh, David experienced the same thing that you've talked about, Ed, which is the presence of God in the midst of trial and adversity. He's written a book called I Am With You Always. It's a book that reminds us that the Lord is faithful to hear the cry of our heart, that he is there for us in times of great trial like uh, you experienced. In fact, any of our listeners who wanted to get your book and Chip's book together, we'd send them the CD that has our conversation with you. We'd send it along at no additional cost. Again, go to our website, familylife.com. Click the Go button at the bottom of the screen. That'll take you right to the page where there's more information. Or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. And we've got folks on our team who will be happy to uh, let you know how you can have these resources sent to you. You know, speaking of, of resources, Dennis, one of the most requested resources we've had in our Family Life Resource Center this year has been uh, two CDs from a conversation you and I had with Shanti Feldhahn. She wrote a book called For Women Only. It was based on the research she had done, conversations with more than a thousand men about the deepest needs and the deepest longing uh, in men's hearts. And that conversation really resonated with a number of our listeners. This month, we are making that two CD set available to any of our listeners who would contact us in August to make a donation of any amount to the Ministry of Family Life today. It's our way of saying thank you for helping to support this ministry. We are listener-supported, and it's your donations that keep us on the air in this city and in cities all across the country. 
So this month, if you can go online to make a donation or call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make a donation, just mention that you'd like the CD set for women. In fact, if you're donating online, when you get to the key code box, just type in CD, those two letters, and we'll know that you want to have these CDs sent to you. Again, our website is familylife.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make a donation. And uh, we appreciate you standing with this ministry financially. Well, tomorrow we're going to begin to hear the story of how Ed Harrell and others survived for four days afloat in the Pacific. I hope our listeners can be back with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, our entire broadcast production team. And on behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.